I guess I'm thinking about banquets because, well, it seems that the passage of Scripture today is about banquets. And we're in Luke 14, 7. We're going to read a particular story of Jesus' instructions for banqueters. And I would invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. This is Luke 14, 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Gracious Lord, add your blessing to the reading of your holy word, we ask. Amen. You may be seated. In Scripture, there are several different places where we are commanded to do good to others. I don't think I need to make the case any longer that it's important for us to serve others, to do good to others, to put into action the love that we're commanded to demonstrate to our neighbors. I hope I made that case last Sunday. You remember the passage about the sheep and goats being divided and the criterion for the division between the sheep and the goats was whoever had served the least of the brothers and sisters of Christ that actually served Christ. Um, Jesus is clearly teaching that the way you treat the poor and disenfranchised matters to him. That ought to be enough for us to, to take note, to say, well, we need to serve others. And I'm always wondering, does what Jesus command us to do end up being enough motivation for us to actually do it? Or does the evidence of our lives point to something else? I mean, we know we all probably could do more to serve others, but I would like to drill a little deeper past that echo of guilt that we all experience when we start talking about serving others in the kingdom. And as I drill deeper, let me give full disclosure in advance. At the end of this sermon, we're gonna sing a song together, and I'm going to invite those of you who would like to kneel at the altar and ask for more of God in your life to do so. So that's coming later. But I just want you to be prepared for that. That's how we'll end the service today, praying together after we sing a song together. When we read this image of picking a seat at a banquet, this parable that Jesus tells, I think it's pretty clear on the surface of things to understand 
that Jesus is speaking again about humility and about considering others before we consider ourselves. You heard the story that Jesus told. If you go to a banquet, don't pick the best seat, because if you do, you might get humiliated. It's better to pick a bottom seat and get raised up in the presence of everyone than it is to pick a top seat and be humiliated. I don't think what Jesus is saying is that you should go into banquets with a calculus in mind. I mean, like, like, I think I'm about a halfway to the podium important person, so how much further down do I have to initially start in order for the host to notice I'm sitting too low and raise me up so I can get maximum benefit of being exalted in the presence of my friends. So I don't really want to sit in the very lowest seat, but maybe, maybe four from the bottom is low enough to sit to create the dissonance in my host. Jesus isn't trying to say to us, calculate how to be exalted in the eyes of others. You've heard the other passage. When someone mistreats you, be kind to them, and it will be like heaping coals on their head. Jesus' statement isn't figure out how to keep to heap coals on your enemy's head. He's trying to tell you, be kind. And so when our, our motives get that warped, that we start parsing the words of Jesus in ways to get stuff for ourselves or to injure others, We haven't gotten this right yet. We haven't truly understood humility and graciousness and forgiveness in the way that Jesus wants us to understand. Jesus says, the rewards for expressing true love run deep. And we shouldn't be so concerned about getting a return on our expressions of service we should just love others enough that we'll want to serve them. You know, sometimes the things we do end up being a combination of various motives together. We're doing this mostly because we want to help this person, but we also don't want to get grief from not helping that person because that would look bad. And so in order to protect our image as a compassionate person, we have to help even though we don't really want to. Did you follow that? I mean, do you do stuff because you don't want to get griped at for not doing it, rather than just because it's the right thing to do? There there is often, maybe you're different than me, there are are often times when the motives sort of get mixed up and, and tangled in me, and sometimes I just do stuff to get people off my back because I'm tired of hearing the same thing. Um... I wish I could say that my motives were always completely loving and pure. And I think that part of, part of what Jesus is saying, especially in the part of the story where he says, when you throw a banquet, invite those who can't repay you. Because that, that is part of the, the mixing of motives kind of thing. Um, I think Jesus is asking us about the motives for what we do. And I really think there's two two basic expressions of love that Jesus really cares about. 
two things that he's especially concerned about when he talks to us about how we express love. And the first is this. Will we love the people that he loves? Will, will we choose to love those people? When I introduced my wife Nancy to my family for the first time, she was not yet my wife at the time, she was immediately accepted into my family and my family began the process of loving her. They didn't know her at all, but they extended love to her because I had chosen her and Nancy was loved by me. Simply because Nancy was loved by me, the whole family extended their love to her. We've received love and mercy from God, and he asks us in return to love the people he loves. 1 John tells us how important it is to love others. I think in that passage in 1 John that uh, John is really talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. But since we can all recite John 3.16, we know that the love of God doesn't stop just with people who are in the family, but goes well beyond that. God so loved the world, right? And so we've been invited to begin loving the world. And I think that Jesus wants to do more than just introduce us to our neighbors in the world. He wants to do more than just teach us to love one another within the body of Christ. This is my conviction and not mine alone. More than just loving neighbors and loving family and loving relatives, by his Holy Spirit, he actually wants to put his love for the world into our hearts. He wants to express his love of the world by putting his love for the people he loves right in us by his Holy Spirit. This is what 1 John 4 says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's what John says. In this world, we are like Jesus. The love that we need in order to love others to love those we don't even know yet, is the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. We don't have to work it up. It isn't our own emotional project. It isn't our own work. It's the result of our obedience to Christ and our desire to do what he asks us to do, 
which is to love the people he loves. Listen to Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace where we now stand. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God pours out his Holy Spirit into our lives and when the Spirit takes residence in us and has given complete access to all that we are so that we are seeking to honor him in everything, the Spirit gives us an ability to love others that isn't naturally resident in us. You say, well, what, what kind of love are you really talking about? What, what's the caliber of this love? What, what's the definition of it? How, how far do we really have to go in loving people who maybe we find a little objectionable, who aren't quite like us, or who don't know appropriate boundaries, or, you know, people can be difficult. How much do we have to love them? You know, unfortunately for us, this Bible of ours is so comprehensive and it answers all these questions for us, sometimes in ways we'd rather not know. But if you read the Corinthian correspondence of Paul and you read 1 Corinthians 12, you get this description of Paul addressing a problem in the Corinthian church, okay? And the problem is the gifts of the believers. They believe in the Corinthian church that people have different spiritual gifts and some are better than others. And Paul's specifically addressing the problem of ecstatic utterances in church. Some folks believe that that gift was better than all the rest. And, and as Paul goes through talking about the relative gifts and the places of them in 1 Corinthians 12, when you get to the very end of it, after this full description of all these gifts, there's this little phrase that is an introduction to chapter 13. And after having talked about all these spiritual gifts, and when I say spiritual gifts, I mean the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings when he has full access to who we are. So we're really talking about what the Spirit brings to us. At the end of this whole litany of gifts, this is what Paul says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And so he's talking about the most magnificent expression of the gifts of the Spirit to us. And you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is, right? You, you've heard these. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, mixed motive, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Verse four, this is the comprehensive definition of the kind of love that Christ is seeking to receive through us to those he loves. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, 
It does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. You know, we hear this passage recited in weddings, and I can understand why, because it's talking about love, but this is not a wedding passage at all. This is a passage that defines for us the character of love that Jesus expects of us for the world. But it's not that he expects us to generate it ourselves. He expects us to open ourselves to the flooding of the Holy Spirit so that he can bring with his presence that kind of love for others. This is the characteristic of God's love for his creation that he wants to express through us. And if we're going to be children of God in this kingdom, if we're gonna live with integrity, we will have to express the love of God, which is significantly bigger than anything we can work up humanly, by allowing the Holy Spirit to have such control over our lives that we're willing to risk loving at this level. It's a tall order. Thanks be to God that he promises to provide what's necessary because we couldn't do that. But the problem is we're not sure we want to do it anyway even if he provides the ability to do it. We're not completely sure we've surrendered our lives to him at that level. The receiving of and the expression of the love that is given us by the Holy Spirit is a spiritual gift to us. The test of whether or not we are fulfilling God's plan is whether we are loving the world according to the way that Jesus loves the world. Jesus inspired John to say it this way, from John, 1 John 4. In this world, we are like Jesus. So the question is, how are we doing at that? How are we doing at that? You've heard uh, this part of Psalm 139 from which we read at the beginning of the service, repeated many times. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, That verse is so important to us because we have to confess our hearts are self-deceptive at times. We get into this motive mixing stuff too frequently. We think first about what we might get out of this or what this will cost us if we, if we love in such an extravagant way. We serve in order to avoid the accusation of not caring or we hope we, we help others so that we won't be accused of spending our wealth too much on our own selves. Or we serve to keep people from annoying us and to keep them at a distance But imagine if God really got a hold of our hearts and we risked for a moment allowing him to show us 
how much he really loves everyone else in the world. Are, are you prepared for that knowledge? That knowledge is not too wonderful for you. That is knowledge that can be yours today. It is possible for us to know the measure of love that God has for the world, for the people he created who live all around us, if we want to know, if we want to see, if we want to take responsibility to respond according to that vision. I have to tell you how demoralizing it is to me to see Christians on social media say horrible things about people on different sides of the political spectrum. It, it seems clear to me that those folks just haven't had a vision yet of how much Jesus loves people on the other side of the political divide and who may be, for the time being, enemies of the cross, or at least appear to be so to them. Unless the Spirit of God moves on us and shows us the true value of others and gives us a genuine love for others, all types of others, there isn't any hope for the church. If we are not loving, we are nothing. When we are not loving, we are expressing a great lie, a great falsehood. Because the church is the visible expression of Christ in the world for better or worse. And if we are not loving from pure spirit-gifted motives, we're telling the world that God is not loving. And that is just not true. God is love, John tells us. And we are called, whenever we throw a banquet, to invite all those other folks who we have no reason to invite other than the fact that they are deeply loved by God. Yeah, we have a call to service, but that service proceeds from a call to love, to honestly, genuinely, and deeply love. We're gonna sing a song, I Need Thee, Oh, I Need Thee. And if the Spirit of God has been speaking to your, as he's been speaking to my heart today, I would invite you to join me at this altar for a closing prayer. That the Holy Spirit may give us a fresh anointing of his loving presence. That we might be able to love the people he loves. So I would invite you to stand while we sing and if you'd like to join me for this closing prayer at the altar, come while we sing.
going to pray slowly so that if you want to use these words or repeat these words, you're able to do so. God, forgive me for the times I have been unloving. Give me a vision of the way you see the people around me. Holy Spirit, I offer myself completely to you. Fill me with your love. Help me see where my motives are mixed. And deepen my love for others. Help me love others in the way you love me. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the work of your spirit in our lives. And it is our desire to honor you with who we are and to serve others to your glory, not for our glory. And so we thank you for your convicting spirit which tells us the truth about ourselves to ourselves. And we open ourselves to you and say, Lord, from this day forward, make us true instruments of your peace. Help us to love those who are unlovely, to embrace those who are the least of these, to be graceful and compassionate with one another, that what we express to the world will be the true expression of Jesus Christ. Grant this for your sake and to your glory. Forgive us for the times we've fallen short of us. But help us that we can live as citizens of your kingdom with integrity. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. And now by the grace of God and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, may you express the love of Christ to the world. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.